you look from a collections perspective and you have to you have to have a very strong look at not only new sales and being able to say is any of that going to happen also and, and above all else your ar collectability for current and future sales and then you have to be very realistic because it's easy to lull yourself into a sense of security that oh i have ar I'm going to get it Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WES Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm, Elevate IQ. If you ask anyone what's most important for a business, they'll have a million different answers. The answers could be... Things such as marketing, engineering, quality, and employee experience. But if there is one thing that matters more than anything else, it's cash. Either you have it or you don't. You can fake marketing, you can fake revenue, you can fake success, but you can't fake cash. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss cash flow management best practices. We discussed the differences of cash and accrual accounting and how that might impact predictability of cash flow. Finally, we discussed the impact on cash flow because of poor inventory optimization, such as supply chain unpredictability and inability to collect your AR. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you're joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformations for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. And we pick one topic related to digital uh, transformation and always have an expert panel here. So for today, we are going to have a very interesting topic, cash flow. If we had all cash in the world, then probably we would not have any problem. But typically, we are always short of cash. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am Sam Gupta, your host and principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital uh, transformation consulting firm. On that note, I am going to move Chris for his intro. Thanks, Sam. Chris Giardini. I'm the CEO and owner of Turnkey Technologies. We're a 28-year Microsoft Dynamics ERP implementation. So looking forward to the conversation today. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. Aaron, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Absolutely. Uh, Aaron Spool here. I am a partner at Event Advisor Group. We are an on-demand CFO controller and accounting firm. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Aaron. Ben, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Absolutely. Good afternoon, everybody. Ben Cole, president of ERP Connect Consulting, specifically focused on the implementation and support of D365 Business Central. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Ben. Uh, David, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? I'd love to. My name is David Safir. I am a cash flow specialist. I work with companies implementing cash flow management systems. I teach accountants and other financial advisors 
how to do the same. Exactly. And uh, David is a pro here. So you guys are going to be tested on your cash flow knowledge. So make sure, you know, you guys are being a little careful uh, with your comments. Thank you so much for being here, David. <laughs> Sharon, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? Uh, pleasure. Uh, my name is Sharon Custer. Happy to be here. I am an inventory optimization consultant. I help e-commerce owners to optimize their cash flow, demand forecast, and a cost control. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Sharon, for the first time. And uh, if you are in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys uh, post your questions and comments. We typically try to cover them during the show. If we run out of time, then our panelists are going to make sure that you are going to your answers. On that note, I am going to start with the first question with Chris. And Chris, when it comes to cash flow, it's sort of an art. I mean, we don't really have some sort of ERP workflows where you can set up and then we are going to have tons of cash in our bank account. I wish we had that, right? Uh, but we don't. So let's say if somebody is starting on the cash flow planning and they need to figure out, okay, how to optimize, what is going to be the process? And maybe you can share some stories as well. I don't know if you're going to have it. Chris, over to you. Sure. Thanks, Sam. And, you know, it's an interesting topic and I'm sure I'll get different opinions out of everybody. But as I think about, you know, the configuration that I've experienced within the different ERP systems I've worked over the years, it's like, how do you get a good look? It's the looking glass. What's going to happen? When am I going to be short? When am I going to be long? You know, right? Payroll's coming through, right? Whoa, did we hit the bottom? Did we cross the line? And, and it's interesting. And I think as you look at how accurate are your financials, we're going to start by assuming that your financial statements are up to date. Okay. And all that means is that the, you know, the relationship between an income statement and a balance sheet and equity and how much of that cash is yours. Cause a lot of people, I have cash in the bank, but none of it's yours. What do you mean? You have negative equity. What's that mean? It means you're out of business. Well, they may, I, people owe me money. I owe people money. There's still money in the bank, but none of it's mine. So there's, there's a perfect example where accuracy in, in data can be distorting. And even as I pick through financial statements for people, we're looking for, you know, has it been reconciled? Can we really believe the numbers? Okay, fast forward. So now, now we assume the financials are accurate. We know what equity is in the business in terms of working capital, whether there's credit lines. And now we're managing what are those thresholds? Where's the, where's the critical point, right? And some people have sweep accounts where it moves money in automatically from credit lines. Those are a little different to manage. But in the end, the business wants to see what's going to happen. And I've got this big expense and what can I predict? So is cash flow a looking glass? And I think as other folks are going to chime in, how do we get more accurate in that looking glass? Okay, so let's talk about the systems and how we can do a cash flow calendar. Because a good example where we talk about accounts receivable. How can I forecast how much money is going to come in, right? The system's looking at payment behavior. So we start getting into historical behaviors of customers and average days to pay. And it goes on down. And you're like, okay, when I do cash flow, am I just looking at receivables? Great. Those are invoices that are posted. And when can I expect to be paid for those? That's monies that are coming in, anticipated in. Now we flip onto the accounts payable side. And they're like, same type of thing. When am I paying those monies out? Money's in, money's out. And we're playing the game there. So that's almost that first tier as you look at the same type of settings on the vendor side is what's the payment terms, but their discount thresholds. I'm trying to manage to capitalize on discounts and all those little date offsets kind of lend to the way the system calculates money's expected in on a specific date, money's expected out. Let's go down a level. Well, now I want to get a better forecast. Now I want to look at my sales orders. Well, that's okay. Well, they're not even posted yet. How can I, how can I incorporate those into my cash flow? So as we get down to the sales order level, now we're looking at attributes on sales documents, right? Ship dates, requested ship dates. Then we're back into payment terms. So if I ship it, if I invoice it, if they pay it, hypothetical. So I'm getting hypothetical, right? But that's what cash flow is about is we're trying to predict the future. You try to say, can I predict more than a week out, a month out, six months out? 
Now we go to the AP side. It's the same thing. We're looking at purchases, purchase orders, dates, anticipated ship dates. So, so we can take it from a, a first tier, just standard invoices on both sides that have been posted, booked. We take it down and extrapolate based on sales orders, purchase orders. I'm sure people will throw in, oh, what about my forecast, right? Because sales orders, what about the, what about the orders that haven't been booked? Now we just went back from they're in the system, they're keyed. But my forecast said I should have a thousand of these, and I've only got 500 on the system today. So do I go down to this cash flow and start taking taking into consideration a financial forecast? And again, now we're hypothetical. You want to get way out there? We're looking at forecast months out on the buy side and the sell side to kind of again, it's extrapolating. I think I'll stop there. There's a lot I can. Get. I think in the ERP world, you look at that, and I'm not talking about cash flow statements or any of that at this point. That's old. Yeah. So some very interesting layers there, and one point that you mentioned overall about the accuracy of your financial statements, and in my eyes, especially when you are talking about, you know, a lot of finance people are not going to care about sales order, purchase order. They are only caring at the general ledger level. So when you tell, talk about the accuracy of your financial statements, um, you know, sometimes the accuracy could mean that, okay, as long as we are good with the taxes, as long as we are good with the reporting, you know, we are probably good. And that's why we probably have the general entries. We can do whatever we want. And if we are not getting audited, who cares? But the real cash flow opportunities, and I'm pretty sure David is probably going to talk about that, is going to be in your operation. So I think the accuracy is going to be very subjective in terms of which accuracy are we talking about? Are we talking about connecting business, connected business processes as well as accuracy at each step? Or are we talking about just the financial reporting and just managing the books from the compliance perspective? So I don't know if you're going to have any sort of follow-up. Yeah, my, my, my comment really on the on the balance sheet and understanding what's the real cash position and is it accurate, meaning it's a number on a piece of paper. You know, what's in the bank doesn't necessarily correlate to what the equity is in the business. And if we go back to, well, how much money should be there? If everything was paid... Everybody gave me all the money they owe me and everybody was paid. How much money is there? But again, accuracy. And again, if we're basing off of that, we don't want to have a surprise and say, oh, I was off by a million. Now I'm now I'm under. But like I said, that's really the point of that is making sure that the numbers on this are in fact reconciled. The rest of it. And hey, and I mentioned artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence is now in play on cash flow forecasting. We didn't have AI to do cash flow forecasting in the past, but uh, that's a new one. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for uh, those insights. And then I'm actually coming to you. And obviously, you are going to be talking about this more from the finance perspective, because there are a lot more concerns overall. Let's say if you're a public company, then you are going to have a lot more reporting issues. And those are probably going to be uh, audited a lot more than the other companies. But typically, your perspective is going to be very, uh, you know, very much at the general ledger level, right? Uh, I was talking to David, one episode that we did, and we had one story where, uh, you know, one guy sold a company and they uh, forgot to account for 100,000 worth of inventory. And David probably is going to do a better job of that, uh, you know, story. But think of this one, right? Because here your books were completely balanced as such. You know, there were no problem from the financial reporting perspective, but they had no idea that they carried $100,000 worth of inventory. So these are the issues that we are talking about from the operations perspective. And this is where the cash flow might fail. So from your perspective, Aaron, let's say if you're planning for cash flow for a company, what would be your approach? So I, I do kind of laugh when uh, non-financial people, especially ERP folks, say, oh, you finance people only care about the general ledger. Well, I care about the general ledger for an audit. But if I actually want to be a financial professional and predict profitability and all this stuff that my job, 
yeah, I kind of want to have an accurate inventory account. And I'm going to blame all you ERP people for botched ERP implementations. Why I can't have an inventory account. So it's your fault. Now. No, <laughs> but so there you go. I just flipped it back on you. Now, in all seriousness, it's, it is, incre- it, it, it depends on what you're trying to, but if you're attempting to, so let's take out the concept of an audit and let's take out it. Cause those are points in time that if you want to actually make appropriate data driven decisions and finance always looks at through two lenses, the lens of cash flow and the lens of profitability, being able to have an accurate inventory account and accurate cost of goods understanding the pairing between the two, it's paramount. Or you can't do job costing, you can't do product profitability, you can't do anything. It gets uh, it gets even worse. You don't have uh, how do I describe it? If you can't even trust the data, so that's so that that's an even worse perspective. Is when I'll give you an example. I I know companies in which a ton of people have access in order to the inventory account. They can overwrite things and things like that. And like, so you can't even trust that side. So it's a long-winded way of saying is accurate inventory account, accurate cost in that, knowing exactly what you have and, and being able to pair that to every transaction that you have is paramount important. And if you want to do and, – and, and, and let's just use a modern – like right now, real time, it's Eastern Standard 542 right now. It's a thing called inflation. I know, depending upon which news source you have, there's no such thing as inflation, but let's just say that I see there's inflation. Uh, there's, you can imagine being able to track your costs and what they're going to be and pairing that into your, your pricing decisions. All the stuff is paramount, so you have to have it all. And there's no way I can see being long-term successful with any type of inventory without being fully buttoned up. So one one of them is saying it's important. And not just the general one. Yeah, so very interesting layers there. And from my experience, when I look at any of the businesses, to be honest, when you are looking at the real estate of the inventory, it's very rarely accurate in any business. And I am making a very generalized statement here because getting inventory right is probably going to be a rocket science. Uh, that requires a lot of alignment from the system perspective, uh, from the processes perspective. Uh, so let's go back to some of the comments that, that Chris has made overall in terms of cash flow forecasting. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the uh, things that he had mentioned is, you know what, you can forecast based on the AR receipt, uh, based on the trends. So uh, my assumption in that process is going to be that you are probably looking at your existing customers and you are looking at their trend. And based on that, probably you are forecasting the cash flow that you are probably going to be needing. But let's say if you are a, a relatively newer business, or let's say you are acquiring a lot of different customers, uh, you know, then I don't know if the forecasting accuracy is going to be uh, as high. So, Aaron, in your case, let's say uh, when you look at the companies and when they are forecasting cash flow, what are some of the methods that they typically utilize to make sure that they are going to have enough cash? So it depends what situation they're in. So if you're in a the classic turnaround situation, you want to yeah. forecast cash flow, you do it daily. And you're going to know, and usually you know your outflows first. So you know when you have payroll, you know how to pay rent, you know yeah. how to pay utilities, you know your credit card bill, you know all those other things. So you have all those, so you have, your, your outflows are pretty much, let's say 80% you already know. And the last 20% can be variable, and that could be variable based off of from what, whatever you need to buy to service. Call your cost of goods sold. I'm not saying your cost of goods sold is only 20% expense based, but, but, but from a variability perspective. Uh, then you look from a collections perspective. And you have to you have to have a very strong look at not only new sales and being able to say is any of that going to happen. Also, and, and above all else, your AR collectability for current and future sales. Uh, and then 
you have to be very realistic because it's easy to lull yourself into a sense of security that, oh, I have AR, I'm going to get it. Well, if it's age past, what they say, age past a certain, and it depends upon the industry. And, and it's and we're not talking like net terms. That's not what I consider age. I mean, it's any 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 day past the agreed upon collection date. You're the the further, and you have other people here. You know, David probably can comment on and give you exact decimal of chance of predict collecting it. That's that's a that that's the final thing. So you have to make sure that you can actually collect this stuff. So that's that's usually from a high level perspective what I do. Um, the other way is depending upon the type of business you have, can you, how far off is your end statement, you know, your PL, your classic profit and loss versus your cash flow? If you have three month terms or something along those lines, you're going to be wildly different. If it is a month by month business, like a monthly subscription or something along those lines, you collect on a monthly basis and let's say it's e-com, uh, you, 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 the odds of it tying are, are closer. Uh, but I, I think you you have to under so how do I predict and model out? I I go back to taking all the all all the standard stuff like payroll out, take all the stuff out. You have to look at the you have to look at the economic forecast of how much dollars have to go out the door in order to procure the the product. If and if that is assuming you have a product and it's not uh, it's not just a service business. Well, let's just assume we're talking we're talking inventory, we're talking real complicated cash flow. So understanding that cycle and then understanding the collection cycle. And once you have those two roughly modeled out, put in some bad debt assumptions, and then every sales that you have afterwards, so any of the sales forecasts you have afterwards, apply the same with with a reasonable bad debt assumption. And that's your base case. And then from there, just assume things get Things rarely, rarely get Okay. Because if they were better, they wouldn't be. You are so right. Thank you so much, Aaron, for those insights. Really appreciate it. Um, ben, so I'm actually coming to you. And uh, in your industries, the industries that you work in, in my view, when I am dealing with those industries, sometimes tracking the cash flow just of the project is going to be so difficult because there are just so many moving parts. Uh, you know, planning cash just for a project is going to be so difficult. Now we are talking about planning the cash flow for the whole company. Um, so in your experience, what have you seen? You know, have you seen any sort of best practices? Um, do you have any sort of stories that you might be able to share? Yeah, definitely. So just want to start with one thing from each, both Aaron and Chris, that they kind of touched on that I definitely agree with and want to expand on going into what you just asked me, Sam, right? So one of the first things Chris said, right, is can we really believe the numbers? Like, I think that's one of the most important things to look at. And I think that comes from day one when you sign that statement of work to get a new system implemented and you're kind of working on the setup, right? You need to make sure that there's processes and technologies and things in place to make sure that those numbers are accurate, right? One of my least favorite things is when I get in to set up a cash flow statement or, or really anything analytically, and I'm just seeing a ton of manual journal entries, right? If I'm seeing that, that's a pretty clear indicator that, you know, I may not be able to trust the numbers 100%. If everything's getting posted from subledgers, inventory subledgers, customer subledgers, vendor subledgers, I've got a little bit more confidence that I can trust those numbers, right? And that makes it now easier when I can go in and start to, to build some of those reports. And kind of that goes off a piece Aaron said, right? Like he said, you ERP consultants when he started the call, right? And I, you know, there, there's there's good eggs and bad eggs in every practice in the world, right? No matter what you're doing, ERP consulting or, or anything, right? So again, finding the right people to implement your system, make sure they understand what they're doing and not only understand the system, but understand accounting, understand finance, understand distribution, yeah. understand manufacturing, right? 
you can't just know the system. You also have to know the industries that you're playing in. So that's kind of my my two cents off of what you guys said, just to kind of extrapolate into some of the examples I, I want to go into. And Sam, you know, I always kind of like to break things down, small, medium, large, right? Depending on how much money the client wants to spend on what their enhancements are going to be, right? The The small is, well, look at due dates, right? Assume everyone pays on time and assume you pay all of your bills on time and assume all of your recurring expenses are the same, right? That makes a super easy cash flow statement and I can set that up in an hour, right? That That's the small version. And that's kind of the light version, right? Then you get into medium and you look at all the above and you've got sales orders and purchase orders and some things a little bit more that are, that are unpredictable, maybe some auto pay bills that uh, aren't in AP, but you need to account for them. Uh, payroll, all these recurring expenses that may flex up and down a little bit, but that you can build a buffer into uh, and start to to really learn some of the patterns of the clients, right? Not going all the way to AI yet, but looking, okay, this client is always five days late. I can almost guarantee on a net 30, they're going to pay on day 35, right? So starting to build some of those things into your methodology, and that takes a little bit more time, um, but really starts to kind of build up from that ground floor. And then that fully automated piece, I think Chris t- touched on AI, right? There's a lot of things out there today that, you know, system agnostic, you can look at anything that you want to start learning customer patterns and payment patterns and, you know, expense patterns and look at your PL to start kind of predicting that variability. Um, and, you know, it's never going to be perfect, but we can get within a confidence interval that you're comfortable with to start predicting better cash flow. So I think those are, those are a few of the things to look at and kind of just as you're getting started and going back to the setup piece, right? I, I always go back to like best practice of getting ERP set up on day one, right? The first thing clients ask me for is always profit and loss and balance sheet. They never ask about cash flow until <laughs> maybe after go live. I, I, I don't know, but they always want a balance sheet. They always want an income statement. And I mean, I don't disagree. You absolutely need those. But if, if you look at any, you know, textbook or blog article or best practice, the three financial statements are income statement, balance sheet and statement of cash flows. For some reason, people leave the statement of cash flows out more often than not. You'd be you'd be surprised. So really focusing on it during either an optimization period or just a fully new ERP implementation period um, and making sure you have the inputs, the setups, kind of the process flows and that you're not entering. Man- I hate manual data, right? Automate so the data gets in there. Make sure it's all coming through the sub ledger. And I, I think we talked about this on last week's session tie it out, right? It applies to cash flow. Tie your stuff out at the end of the month and make sure that it's all up to date. And then you don't have to do a big exercise at the end of the year and hire consultants to work for 100 hours to true it up, right? You know that it's good to go day by day. It's not easy, but it can be done, right? Some very interesting commentary there. And uh, in my experience, when you talk about technologies such as AI, you know, I'm always looking for the foundation first before you construct a large building on anything, right? Absolutely. Uh, Because it's only going to uh, make your problems bigger, in my experience. And again, uh, the data is always problematic in in most um, companies as well as the industries that I have personally dealt with. So, you know, just wanted to touch on that. But one of the interesting comments that you made is taking that subledger, you know, when you are going to have subledger and when you are sort of reconciling that with your general ledger, uh, you mentioned that uh, your debugging is going to be slightly easier, I guess. The forecasting, you are going to have far more confidence. So do you want to clarify some more there? Why do you feel that if you have subledgers, then your forecasting accuracy is going to be higher? Yeah, just because of the the integrity of the data, right? If I've got journal entries that aren't hitting sales and customers or purchases and, and vendors, right? 
and I'm just booking entries to a GL account, I don't really have any like supporting detail. I don't know. Maybe if they put comments in it, you know, again, I'm assuming kind of like worst case scenario for just journal <laughs> entries, right? That like, I can't like, if I'm reading them for somebody else that put them in, I have no clue what they're for. That makes it really hard for me to have confidence that this is number one, is it going to happen again? Like, I don't like if it was an expense, I have no clue if it's going to happen again next month. If it's a journal entry with not much detail, if it's a $500 expense, it might have been a one time setup fee or joiner fee for some, you know, something you're doing, right? Um, it might be just a one off or it could be recurring. And I have no idea because there's no um, there's no setup. There's no like recurring templates. Maybe if I've got a, a on the vendor side or the customer side, uh, I don't have any indication whether it's recurring or not. And ultimately, I can't tie it back to a customer or a vendor or an item or anything like that. So it, in my opinion, it just makes it a lot more difficult to have that predictability and that confidence in the data if it's not coming through a, a sublet. Could not agree more. Great points, man. Thank you. So, so David, I'm actually coming to you. Um, and I know I sort of stole your story. And but the only reason why I stole it, because I know that you are probably going to have millions, uh, you know, so now I'm actually going to start with you. And I don't know if you're going to have any sort of best, best practices that you could talk about as far as the cash flow planning goes, uh, or maybe cover a story that you uh, want to share. David, you know, it's it's been great listening. Um, there are real gems with <clears throat> everything that everybody has said. But I think one critical thing that everybody needs to realize: the, the first issue of dealing with cash flow is mindset. We all grow up with accrual-based accounting, and accrual-based accounting does not do well in facilitate cash flow projection. Um, at the very least, you need to turn it into cash-based accounting. But even there, there's issues counting, and we need to be able to change our mindset from only looking at the past to being able to predict the future and unlearn a lot of the stuff that's locked up inside of accrual accounting to be able to accurately move forward with cash flow first projections. So that's all we've been talking about here is cash flow projections. That is just the starting point. You then need to learn how to manage your cash, which means you make decisions about it. And then number three is you learn how to optimize your cash flow, which oftentimes is where you're finding the profitability. And um, I, I don't have a story off the top of my head other than the fact that every single client to teach them first how to think cash flow before we even start with systems. And then the real, when we start with the systems, that's when they start having their eyes on I work with accountants. By the way, Sharon is in a mentoring group that I work with. It's a mastermind. And on a regular basis, these are all accountants. One's a CPA, two are CPAs. They say, wow, we never thought of it like that before because they have to unlearn and relearn in a different methodology. Stories, ask me a question. I'll tell you a story. So some very interesting commentary there. And I think I would like everybody to probably touch on the comment that you just made. And this is what I really like in my panels. We want to, you know, spice things up a little bit. Now, if we don't, then it's not going to be enough fun. So you, um, and based on my experience, when I talk to CPAs, uh, as well as CT, uh, CFOs, their preference always, if a business is doing cash accounting, then their preference always is going to be, how can we move? to actual accounting, but you are sort of trying to recommend here that, you know what, for the cash flow projections, your actual accounting is not going to be as good. So you need to be thinking more from the cash flow mindset if I got that. So do you want to touch a little bit more? And I'm definitely 
I would like to hear, uh, you know, a little bit from Aaron as well, what he feels and if he feels comfortable in doing the cash-based accounting. Because in my books, um, when I talk to any of the CFOs, they are probably going to think that, you know, that's probably legacy ba- way of running business. There's, well, there's, let there's me nothing. give you a quick example, a, a quick story. Sorry, I'll come back Aaron. to you, Aaron. Um, I'm, I'm working with the manufacturer that you go, oh, great, you had a million dollars in sales this month. Let's see how much cash you're bringing in. And the, the answer is it's $100 because it's booked today and it is projected out. It's coming in over time, right? There's, I like to talk about when is a sale made. If you're a salesperson, it's the first meeting where somebody says, hey, I'm, I'm interested. Great. You go back and say, yeah, it's a done deal. If you are a lawyer, it is when the documents are signed. That's when a sale. If you're doing accrual-based accounting, it is when it ships. None of that makes a whit of difference when you're doing cash flow because it's when it hits your bank account. And that's a huge realization for a lot of companies that they've got to wake up to. So, David, I would say I would agree. But any company not doing that, any CFO not doing that is not worth the title of CFO. Well, then we've got a lot of people out there with a false title. You've got a lot of people out there doing, claiming to do a lot of things and not doing it well. <laughs> so, I, uh, right. I like this. Let's let's go right. back. So, David, it's, it's, it's a, before we start knocking around accrual accounting, let's be clear here. They they do. There's the, the lens of finance. The lens of the CFO and finance has two lenses. We view the world in two very different ways. And just like marketing views it a market share, mm-hmm. customer acquisition, sales looks as you know, customer acquisition. The, 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 the world of finance looks at two things, cash flow and profitability. Profitability is an accrual concept. It is not a cash concept. Incredibly important. You cannot successfully manage a company long term on cash flow. Cash flow is to prevent bankruptcy. Uh, cat- um and, for, and I have a different view on that. I, but, I, I get okay. it. It's, it's, you, you don't. It's, 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 let me make sure something. Everybody hears me say accrual accounting is bad to do cash flow, and they automatically assume it's, it's that not, I don't no, know. It's, it's, it's not all. meant to do cash it's flow. not the case. I didn't say that. No, exactly. That's my point. But what are we taught in school? Both. I, I'm not an accountant, but right. I took accounting. And what you're taught is accrual-based accounting, and people go from it's a principle to it's a natural law so, well, that well, you well, cannot break. So I, I, I don't know. I, I have a CPA. I was taught cash. We have a, Ben. You said it well. The thing called a statement of cash flows. Like yeah. these, now, right. if but let's let's bring this back. I'm gonna circle back. I, okay. The ERP systems out there. I would say if you want to make a lot of money. So anyone watching this wants to make a lot of money, and you happen to know technology, and you happen to finance, you can come up with a good way to translate. All of, uh, to good cash flow forecasting taken into account, you're going to make, you're going to do very well. People have attempted to, but I would agree with you, David. If you want to say that the current systems we have in place do not support a healthy, robust day to day or any type of full cash flow uh, reporting and forecasting, I would agree. Statement of cash flows aside, you can look at a statement of cash flow and you still have the translate. All of my cash flow modeling is done outside of the particular. Uh, right. And and it's, it's, it's not a future prediction. It's looking at the past. No, no, no I do future prediction cash flow. You want to do? No, I'm it talking about the the statement of cash. Oh, any any financial any financial statement is a statement. It's of not cash. a predictor. Oh, and, and any financial statement. Is right. So that's a fundamental shift. No, no, that's just forecasting. Right. 
but if you were, it's 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 there's there's accrual based forecasting, which is what is my revenue going to be? What is my profitability going to be? What is my MRR going to be? Things that investors care greatly about. That's all. And I tell you, MRR is, is, is an accrual based term. Uh, but there's also, you know, obviously how good, how strong is so, that revenue? How what's what's your cash? And people also care about burn rate. So if 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 you are a, a more of a from a startup perspective, but your creditors are going to care about your cash flow. Banks care about your cash flow. All this stuff is reporting appropriately. I mean, I don't know a single good credit monitor. So, but when's the last time you applied for a loan and they say, give us a cash flow projection? Yesterday. And they want accrual base. No, they want both. They're going to ask for an AP. Uh, they're going to ask for your outstanding AR. They're going to ask for your outstanding AP. Any <laughs> any good creditor. Right. But, but what I've seen with banks, when you're applying for the loan, they're looking at standard financial reports based on accrual accounting, which has very little to do with really being able to project your cash flow. And, but when you get in trouble and you're now a special account, that's when they ask, start asking you for cash flow projections based on real cash, not an David, if you know a bank that will, that will give out a special loan based account. only on accrual-based accounting, I want to know that bank because I have plenty of loans I'd like uh, to apply um, for. Um, all right, guys. Great debate. I really enjoyed this one. Obviously, we need to bring uh, Sharon here as well for her comments. And Sharon... I believe you are the CPA, so obviously I need to know your perspective as well. So here, overall, whatever has been said, you know, if you're dealing with these smaller business, if you are not getting audited, you can do whatever you want. As long as you are paying taxes, I guess, you know, nobody really cares. But when you look at the accrual accounting and what uh, the point that Aaron is trying to make here is when you look at the revenue rec recognition and then you are going to do your books, I guess the accrual accounting is going to matter. The cash flow always had a role to play, even in the accounting classes, you know, uh, go back to your business schools and they always, uh, you know, taught how the cash flow is supposed to be done. And that always follows sort of the the the, the cash cycle. Um, the one that David is trying to argue, even the actual accounting is going to have your cash sites as well. So I don't know what your perspective is overall. What, what do you think? <laughs> Sharon, you are on mute. You are on mute. You need to unmute yourself. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Interesting um, discussion here. As a inventory optimization consultant, I see very common, extremely common people say, I'm so profitable. Where is my money to buy inventory? So it goes back to David, when the money hits the bank account, that's what I care because that's when I can buy the inventory, okay? And there's a, a few disconnection here, like uh, at least the experience I have with e-commerce owners is like they, they often have system in place to alert them when to purchase inventory. But it's really reactive. So the whoever managed the inventory say, click, this has got to reorder. But the problem is they don't care if there's money in the bank. They only tell the owners, hey, this has got to reorder right now. So in terms of uh, inventory optimization, it's like you don't want to buy too much to tie up, put your cash on the shelf for nothing, doing nothing, or you got to buy just enough to roll your inventory so the accuracy is very important the inventory count is very important um so that uh that's that's just how you know when, when you do demand forecast you you have your top line of you know revenue the sales and then you you affect somewhat affect your bottom line you know your cost of goods sold 
estimate. So that's what the inventory optimization is about part of it. The second thing is that I see a lot of company has a tendency just a lump sum of cost of goods adjustment. And that's, that's just a missing out of inventory analysis. The, the, the goal of your business to analyze your, your cost of goods sold, where, how much money you actually make per item, you know, where, where's your sales is from. It's, it's connected with your market, you know, the money from, um, the demand, you know, you have multiple different products, lines, uh, different markets. Uh, different type of consumer behaviors, and then connect to your cost of goods sold, and that that's your profit. And then there's a lot of things you can look at. Either it's your sales volume, quantity, and know where your number is coming from, so you can extend or maximize your cash flow and your profit that way. Okay, so some very interesting. Go ahead, Aaron. So I want to add, Sharon, to what you said. I'm gonna add something highly controversial to this, just because I've seen it. I would say the last year and a half, and I'm actually curious if all of you seem the same. So Sharon, a lot of what you described and a lot of David, also what you, you described uh, is 100% accurate in a, in a, we'll call it a globalized world where you can trust your supply chain, when you can do just-in-time purchasing. But when you have such supply chain shocks, uh, what I found, I'm curious if you found this too, your inventory, how do you then predict how much do you actually have to keep as storage stock, as, as buffer stock? In order to fulfill an order because the cost of not fulfilling an order is lost future sales and lost customers and that's difficult to quantify and the investment class all they see is excess inventory i'm assuming they're going to hire you right away sharon and say cut this inventory down it looks inefficient and how do you explain to an investment class who has no ability now because they've never seen a case in which globalization hasn't worked that what is the appropriate amount of additional inventory and and, and in your warehouse because you might get to a case in which you don't have you don't have a trusted supply chain. First of all, that so do you mind if I jump in? Oh, go ahead. Chief. No, baby, you go ahead. So a couple of things. I think possibly one of the disconnects we're having is that I work with companies up to about twenty million dollars in revenue. There's a good chance you guys work with larger companies, and so you have a continuum of what the needs are um, from a very small company up to a large one. Um, but regarding the global supply chain. I think everybody just got a shock to the system and safety stocks are going up. That's, I'll just say that Sharon's the specialist on inventory. Sharon, do you want to share your comment? Go ahead, share your comment, Sharon. Yeah, sorry. All right. The thing is, we are looking at what, what Aaron is talking about is external factors. So you cannot control the external factor. You just can minimize your risk. Am I correct? Right? So what you're going to do is based on what you know, and then you prepare that buffer as much as you can. Again, your resource is limited so that you can only do what you can. You see what you see, you prevent what you can and prepare what you can. Sometimes even you know that you need that safety stock, but you don't have you don't have a warehouse space. What are you gonna do? Right? I see people just stock their inventory in the trailer. That's the solution, one of the solutions. So you can say that um, you cannot say, oh, it's a a factor that we can it's such a problem with global shipping issues or supply logistic issues, and and you cannot do much about it. It's not completely true. You know, you can pick and choose what you have and do what you can. 
Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Sharon, for that. I don't know if anybody else is going to have any other uh, follow-up comments. Uh, if not, I'm actually going to come back to Chris. And Chris, uh, you know, based on whatever has been discussed, obviously, I would like to know your commentary. Um, could, could, go ahead. Can I just it. say one thing? It yeah, took please. me a minute. I, I want to agree with Aaron on what he said about shareholders. But one of the things I find is c continual education is and so when there's a market shift, the shareholders have to understand. I mean, that's one of the really tough part is the education and education cash flow is a tough topic. And it's different for every single company and every single company's circumstances are unique to them. And so these generalizations oftentimes don't help. And when the fundamental market shifts, re-education. And David, on top of that, I would agree with you. And on top of that, we don't even know what the appropriate metrics are anymore. Like, I, I, how do you, how do you, how do you appropriately predict when you have supply chains that are, I normally I would look at an income statement balance sheet like you have too much of it. Your days of sale is standing. It's just too long. And well, maybe I need that buffer inventory. How many, how many times have you heard of a situation in which a company has died, COVID onward, because their needed supply is sitting on a barge somewhere waiting for a port? Yep. I come into a port or vice versa. Like I accidentally overordered and now inflation happened and I have record profits. Yeah. Yeah. It swings either way. You know, I'm thinking back, I just reviewed a client I worked with. Oh, it was the one that we talked about, Sam, that I helped them calculate. They had one part coming in from China and I helped them calculate. They needed some certain number flown in and the other ones put on a boat, right? That, that would be completely out the window. To, it took a matter six of fact, months to get a garage locally source, You locally source that part and forget about the increase in you know part costs. It's more than made up for with reliability of, of access. It took me six months to get a garage door because the spring was made in China. No springs to be had. It took me, it took me a, almost a year to get lumber because the resins aren't made here. But, you know, and it goes beyond that. We were trying to get a small porch cement port. We couldn't get local concrete. They yeah. don't ship that in from China. No. Because of the vagaries of what's going on in the building industry where I live. And, you know, we've got these boom and bust cycles. It's, it is tough for everybody. The saga of my home improvement could uh, take over an entire year of, uh, of, uh, of the rocks forecast. Which we won't well... And and we got lucky. We're going to an alternate solution. Right. We had a fifth of pouring cement. So, all right, guys. In, that was good for the cash flow. In the interest of time, guys, we'll do one more round with everybody. Uh, Chris, I'm actually coming to you. So obviously, you know, one thing is very evident that you know finance people have not seen the real uh, ERP implementation that really automates the, the procurement. Uh, we just <laughs> don't know how that works in the in the. <laughs> Uh, you know, that's so, why you have to work so hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To be <laughs> so as I'm speaking earlier, I was I was Dynamics GP had a, a this cash flow calendar and explorer, and it really was cool. And again, the presumption was the bank account balances are correct, but it really did let you drill down by day. It was really cool. Not a cash flow statement. So they I haven't seen that so readily presented. But really, some of the other comments I'm going to make is again is how do you fix and how do you improve cash flow? And if you think about you know system techniques and and just to comment on the inventory, and you're like, oh, we can't predict. So in the end, in, in the end, and Sharon, you probably will say, well, how do you optimize and how do you plan? How much inventory do we keep in the, anyway? What are our min maxes and how are they extrapolated? And lead times factor that and 
capacities and how much cash you have. And and I've had exercises for owners where they take their min maxes, extrapolate it, and you say, well, at the low point, you have this much cash, and at the high point, you have this much. And you get back in, and you look at your lead times, and so cash flow management, where it all goes is lead times need to be accurate, and they do change in times of trauma and drama. And what happens if the lead time gets longer, and essentially the lead time you look at how much product we use in this amount of time plus a little buffer. Well, great. Now your mins and maxes, your peaks are higher because the longer lead times or you're cutting a lot more POs. A couple different strategies, right, Sharon? So yeah. but in the end, the accuracy around that purchasing behavior and the mins and the maxes and managing the lead times is going to extrapolate to a capital number. Okay, you can do it. You can look at it. So that is one area to, to manage cash flow is inventory. And it's the same thing as you look at your sales orders and due dates and hey, make sure you're not dropping everything. To, and again, but these cycles and managing inflows and outflows. And again, those inventory numbers still got to be based on demand. We're buying all this stuff. Do we have orders? So there's part of that, too, is you don't want to end up with all the capital and not the consumption. So there's a lot of science there. And Sharon, you're getting that one. So but you look at other things that, that, that companies can do and you think about implementation automation. Think about easy pay. Think about invoicing. Think about the, the time to getting invoices out the door. You think about improving cash flow. How fast do we get invoices out the door? You know, 45 days, uh, you're dying. So there's techniques. And then now the invoice is out the door. Put a link to pay, click to pay. So there are other techniques you can do to accelerate cash flow. Accuracy, right? Accuracy and in invoicing, the look, the feel, the clean. So clean invoices, timeliness on getting invoices out the door. The longer it takes you to get an invoice, the higher the chance of dispute, just like the AR, the older it is. So then we go back to collections, pay link, even a collections module where you're doing statements. So these are front end activities that if you have the disciplines, they do improve cash flow. Because what you don't want is you don't want over 60. You don't even want over 90. Because again, the value of that is compromised. And, and again, so we talked about inventory. Um, you're talking about collections, pay links. Uh, and on the AP side, what do we do to manage cash flow there? We use ACH and schedule it. So man, you get paid right on the day, not a day sooner, not a day later. But again, the precision on moving monies and trying to accelerate them coming in and to the last minute on the way out, right? And then making sure we're not keeping all that cash sitting in inventory and balance sheet inventory. So just some suggestions. Again, these are back to, I'm sure Ben would say, yes, it's configuration. And it's a feedback loop where we tune it and we adjust it. And as our vendor lead times, because most systems don't automatically adjust the vendor lead time. Hey, it's taking them 180 days. It still says seven. Okay, guys, systems don't automatically update vendor lead times. So hint, hint, go in and fix those. But anyway. I, I thought those were okay. Amazing uh, commentary there. Thank you, much, uh, Chris, for that. Uh, and any comments over comments? Sure. So I kind of riff off combination of what everybody says is the statements that you see and the reports that you see are almost always in. They're accurate into their just assume that you have roughly appropriate data and they're roughly accurate. They're each telling a different story. And they're very accurate in telling that particular story. Profit is not cash flow. A bank statement shows how much dollars are in a particular account at a particular time. It doesn't mean you own all those dollars. It just means that they happen to be there at that point in time. And it takes good analytics and system. And right now, as far as I know, off, I, there's no one report that will answer all of these questions for you. So be very careful with the questions that you're asking. Ensure that your reports are actually answering those questions. If not, you know, piece together the data and work with not only your, your, your finance team, but a course, your inventory team, whoever it is. And let's not forget the one thing that we haven't discussed at all when we talk about cash flow and finance, the treasury department or the treasury function, which is actually a function that in finance that deals in cash. So 
topic for another time. I can see that on the next episode. Your treasury department automated. Do you know paint some more colors? I mean, we have some time and on on treasury as well. Uh, you know, just so that we have some coverage. Why don't I just get myself? <laughs> You give me an idea, right? And then you are into it. <laughs> All right. So, so a couple of things that you, so Treasury Department is going to handle, you know, actual cash flow. So this is, it's um, from everything, can you cover payroll? And their job is to predict cash flow. Their job is to ensure that there's enough cash to, uh, it. sometimes it's a procuring a line of credit because you're overextended and you're waiting for cash to come in. And there's, there's, there's the peaks and valleys of your cash balance for, which is when you actually have to pay someone something. Uh, then also, if you want to get super complicated with treasury uh, and you want to deal with inventory, they're the ones also buying options on certain, uh, you know, if, if you're in the auto industry, steel or plastic, whatever, they're the ones buying options to ensure that you get a better price. So, so that's a different type of cash flow management that is way more complicated than we can talk about here. And if you can figure out an ERP system to automate options trading and hedging, you're more than a billion. Uh, but it goes back to and why and if you want to talk about the function that's consistently forgotten, just like we're talking about how cash flow and understanding cash flows forgotten, does anyone who here even knows what a treasury means? It sounds like such an old school term that I have it like a treasure chest or something in pirates. Uh, the tre- treasury treasury is the department that is forgotten and doesn't even have to be the part. It's the function that's forgotten. Uh, and these again, in the especially these smaller companies which barely understand control or ship. Uh, so. It is a special discipline, very unfortunately not taught as much as it should, and that and it is the financial discipline of managing cash. So I'll, okay. I'll leave it at that. Amazing. Thank you so much, Aaron, for that. Uh, ben, uh, comments over comments, please. Yeah, David was mentioning a few things I wanted to touch on. I think one of the things was that, you know kind of what you're what you're taught in school and what you're taught like fundamentally, right? I think one of the other things to point out is everybody's taught to live beyond their means now, right? And I think companies do the same, right? So if you're in that mentality that you just want to keep pushing the limits, you want to keep pushing your credit balances and you want to push it to the limits. Sure. That's a high risk, high reward play. And you could 10 X your valuation over a year, maybe, but then COVID hits and supply chain issues hit and you're absolutely screwed. Right? So do you want to invest in that high risk, high reward? Obviously if there's more risk, there's going to be more upside, or do you want to invest in kind of that slow and steady? Let's get started. Let's get our feet under us. And then, try to grow exponentially, right? So I think there's a lot of that. And I think it can be applied to a lot of places in business, especially cash flow and how you're managing things on a day to day basis. And Chris, I couldn't agree more. I actually um, created a basically invoice and kind of statement delivery tool for business central specifically. And after deploying that it allows the auto pays, it has the links, it does all those things to help collect cash, because that's something we can kind of control or at least try to speed up. And after implementing that for myself, I cut my average days to collect down almost in half. And most of my clients are experiencing the same thing. So there's some things you control, there's some things you can't control, but if we focus more on the things we can and try to optimize those, I think absolutely can increase your uh, position positively. Amazing insight there. Uh, Chris, do you have a comment? No? Okay. Uh, thank you so much, Ben, for that. David, comments over comments. David, over to you. Yeah, um, so thanks. Yes, cash um, receivables. Absolutely. Chris, Ben, you're right on. You got to have a good system for that. Um, In addition to that, there are literally, I've got 190 ways to optimize and manage cash. This is a creative field. It's not static. And you talked about treasury, Aaron, um, and we've talked about finance. All too often, that is the department, right? They're blamed for cash flow issues 
and look to as being totally responsible. But it is a team sport. Sales, operations, marketing, yep. everybody's got to work together on this to predict, manage, and optimize. The other thing is sometimes the obvious answers are not the right ones for a company. Everybody's talking about getting paid faster. I have clients that I recommend they get paid slower. I won't go into the details of why. And I also recommend pay faster certain vendors. So the, the standard answer sometimes is not the best answer if what you're looking to do is optimize cash flow, not just try to manage it. So those are my thoughts okay. for closing. Amazing. Uh, thank you so much, David, for that. Sharon, comments over comments, please. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you, Sam. Um, I want to echo what Aaron and Chris said. Data accuracy is really important for your cash flow projection. You can see your ARAP on the you know, uh, financial statements, but uh, oftentimes that um, the inventory accuracy and cost of goods accuracy is ignored, you know, because they just want to get that statement done and it disregard how that cost of goods sold or the accuracy of the inventory. But if you really want to run your business smoothly and have accurate cash flow projections, the accuracy inventory account and the cost of goods sold accuracy is very important. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Sharon, for that. Um, so the only thing we can take right now is going to be closing advice. Uh, Chris, what would be your closing advice, please? Sure. And I didn't tell you how to create more cash flow. You, you get your money fast and you pay people slower, right? That creates a little more cushion. It's not going to make your vendors happy, but know your data. Make sure it's accurate. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Uh, Aaron, what would be your closing advice, please? Be very careful of what you're looking at and, and, and making an assumption that it's telling you something without realizing what that means. Meaning an income statement doesn't actually equal your cash balance and a bank statement doesn't necessarily mean that you have all that money. So know, know what know what you're looking at and be clear on the question that you're at that you're asking and be very careful about the source of that answer. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Aaron, for that. Uh, ben, what would be your closing advice, please? Cash is king and uh, net income might be an illusion. Okay, amazing. Love it. Thank you so much, Ben, for that. Uh, David, what is going to be your closing advice, please? Every company should have two things. One is a minimum of 13-week weekly cash flow projection, and number two is a line of credit before they need it. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, David, for that. Uh, Shannon, what is going to be your closing advice, please? Um, planning ahead, even as tough, has one plan better than no plan. Okay, amazing. Love it. So that's it for today, guys. And if you joined for the first time, this was part of our digital transformation for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another topic and another panel. On that note, thanks, everyone, for tuning in tonight. See ya. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Bye-bye. We cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Aaron's pool, head over to aventusag.com. It's E-V-E-N-T-U-S-A-G.com. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to chandkeytech.com. C-O-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about David Safair, head over to davidsafair.com. It's D-A-B-I-D. S-A-F-E-E-R.com. If you want to learn more about Ben Cole, head over to ERPConnectConsulting.com. It's E-R-P-C-O-N-N-E-C-T-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. If you want to learn more about Sharon Custer, 
head over to inventoryoptimization.pro. It's I-N-V-E-N-T-O-R-Y-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-A-T-I-O-N.P-R-O. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Aaron Spool from Aventus Advisory Group, who describes what it means to have a cash flow mindset in the organization. Also, the interview with Jim Downs, who shares his insights into the importance of tracking meaningful financial KPIs to improve profitability and growth for CPG companies. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.